How's everybody doing? My dad warned me about these uh, about these lights and how, how bright they are, but I, I didn't take them too seriously. Now I'm up here and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I love it. Well, it actually works out out great because you know this message. I really, to be honest with you, I really struggled. Actually, Michelle came over uh, and prayed for me for some encouragement. I really needed it because. Uh, this was probably one of the more difficult messages that, I, that I've honestly put together, um, and I'm going to share a little bit about as to why, because um, I think this isn't just, yes, it's personal, but I also, uh, I think it's it's something for the entire body. Um, and so, uh, but first, before we kind of dive in, I kind of want to give you guys uh, kind of a life update on where I'm at, what I'm doing, because um, honestly, I... I <laughs> It's very different than what I ever anticipated or where I thought I would be, but I'm actually in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, I work for an uh, organization called Holston Home for Children. So I actually work with uh, foster care, adoption, and kind of how I got connected was actually through Iris. So this past year and a half, I was actually traveling with a gentleman named Will Hart uh, with Iris Global. You guys may know maybe Heidi Baker. And uh, had the wonderful opportunity to just travel with him, preach the gospel, uh, serve him. It was a really rewarding time. But we actually have a base in Greenville, Tennessee. Uh, the CEO of Holston Home actually has just been radically set on fire uh, for Jesus. Is just a total radical life transformation. And uh, it ended up, he went to Mozambique, uh, went to Heidi Baker and said, I want Iris missionaries to work for Holston Home. And uh, so when I came on board, uh, there were six of us. There's actually now 25 Iris missionaries that are actually employed through Holston Home. Uh, and these kids' lives are being radically transformed. They're being healed, set free, delivered. Uh, all of them, they have a choice. They, get, they can either go to church or they uh, can do homework, which, let's be <laughs> honest, uh, I'd much rather go to church. But it's, it's a choice, right? And they're actually choosing to, to, to go to church. And it's just really powerful to see uh, their lives being transformed. But Holston is actually in Greenville. It's about an hour from Knoxville, and I've actually uh, came on board. Uh, I'm going to be the director of a new ministry in Knoxville, and so my wife and I, she's here. Uh, we are just, yeah, it's that cute little blonde. I can't even see her. Uh, she's got a tummy on her. We're expecting here in a couple weeks. My I'm going to be a dad to an amazing son named Abner. So, yeah. <sighs> Come on. A lot of changes. And it is. Uh, on that note, so uh, <laughs> as I become a father, some of you know I love skinny jeans. <laughs> and... As my wife is continuing to tell me as I gain sympathy weight that this is who I'm becoming. You could say that was a super encouraging thing to hear from your wife. So just drink that in. I'm sure some of you have actually already seen it. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, actually uh, Will and I talked about this as well. Because uh, he had wears skinny jeans and I thought it was pretty hysterical. So even as I'm up here in, in really, really skinny jeans, <laughs> I just thought I'd walk side to side so you can see me from that angle <laughs> and compare and contrast, do, do whatever you may. You lost you lost I know, I, I, but the other thing, um, okay, so this is, the, this is what we're really going to get into. One last thing, I want to tell you a joke. Um, uh, Jesus is just funny. Uh, that's one of the biggest things that through this journey I have learned. Jesus was actually quite sarcastic, uh, and Jesus was actually very humorous. And I love that side of Jesus because I'm very sarcastic, um, and I, I love to have fun. My, my in-laws got me this amazing book. It's called uh, Dad Jokes, How to Embarrass Your Kids Early. <laughs> Best book I've ever received. Uh, and one of the jokes, and I want to share it with you, what did the green grape say to the purple grape? The green grape say to the purple grape, breathe, you idiot, breathe. <laughs> so I, I am setting, I, I, let's just say I have been set up 
for fatherhood in the best way possible. Okay. So like I was saying, this message really, um, it was just really, really difficult to try and put together. Uh, and I, I really believe just in this season, I, I, it is very difficult to hear the Lord's voice. I, I wish I could sit here and say I have it all figured out. Um, and just as I was praying about this, I'm asking the Lord, what, what do you want me to share? Because uh, this has been a, a big journey that I have gone on. And uh, do we as believers really seek truth? And that, that question uh, has just continued to just sear my heart. And, right, John 8, 32 is, you know, we all don't know that if the truth sets you free, right? So if the truth really does set you free, then why are there not more believers who actually are free? Because I really believe that we are in a time of refinement within the church. I think we live in a time where truth is actually considered re- uh, relative, there is an assault on truth. I mean, honestly. And I know for me, I, I used to re- very much base my decisions off of what I felt, not off of truth. Now listen, I'm not saying feelings are bad, right? They just cannot guide you. They're great indicators, right? They are great indicators to kind of give you a red flag, but they cannot guide you. Truth is what needs to guide you. Now, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to poke, I'm not trying to, you know, um, you know, cast judgment, but the charismatic movement in its, in its entirety has been really bad about being led by their feelings. Okay? Right. Here's the thing. I, <laughs> I used to be on one side of the spectrum. I used to care what people really, really thought of me, and then I swung to the side of, like, who gives a rip? I don't really care. Uh, and so I'm trying to find this middle ground, so if I say something hurtful, please don't take it. Like personally, um, I just I, I know I'm just kind of sick of my own life and not seeing fruit. And even within the charismatic movement and the church in its entirety, uh, not bearing fruit. <laughs> I know it sounds harsh, but doggone it! Like, why do we expect anything different than where we are today? Oh boy! Oh boy! You guys are super quiet. Oh, gosh. I know, I'm doing it, doggone it. So what is truth? So Jesus not only taught that there is truth, but he is the truth, right? In his own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And I think this ties in perfectly last week to what Tom preached about. He did an absolute fantastic job of doing an exegetical analysis on the beginning of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus is the word, and how are we discovering truth in Jesus through his written word? Personally, the Lord's been taking me on this journey of what is truth, and I know, uh, you know, heck, I've had a lot of conversations about, you know, trying to decipher, well, what is truth? We see so many different things on the media, social media, even in conversations, and you ask the question, well, how the heck do I even know what truth is? And I've asked myself that, and the Lord, God love him, he comes in, convicts the living daylights out of me, he says, well, you don't know how to discern truth or find truth because you're not rooted in truth, the truth. So how do you even have parameters to actually gauge what you're even receiving or taking in? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Lord, you know best. That's, that's, a, that's a good word and for a man in his skinny jeans. But honestly, the, wor- the Lord has been taking me on a journey of being rooted in truth. My dad and I talked actually a lot about this this past week and some of the things that we see the Lord kind of doing within the church. And I, th- I really believe there's three things where the Lord's going to bring refinement. Uh, I'm not going to focus on all of them. I'm going to focus on one specifically because it's the one that... I think you guys can learn the most from through all my mistakes, but the first one is community. Uh, I really believe the Lord is doing a refinement in community, so I love social gatherings. I love being able to do things outside of the four walls of this church, but if you're just having a grand old time and drinking lemonade, sweet tea, and grilling, yeah, that's an aspect of it, but that's not the full thing. If, you're not, if you are not coming together in the context of community and building each other up, if you are not studying the word, 
then you are going to be extremely out of balance. It's not a, just a social gathering. Again, that is a big component of it. You need to have each other to have fun. I, that's one of them I love to do. I, what I'm saying about the lemonade, the grilling out, I love that. I do that quite often. But it, again, it needs to be partnered with getting in the Word, worshiping together. And if you're not ha- doing that, I'm telling you, you're going to be really, really lopsided. So I think that's something the Lord's doing. Second thing is worship. I think our understanding of worship is going to be, again, I think this ties into my third point, but going to go back to its roots. What is actual worship? So in this context, right, we were worshiping through song. We're, we're worshiping through the word. We are about to, we, you guys were just worshiped through the giving of tithe. The other thing that I, you know, just through some of my studies and that kind of stuff, I think one of the why the Jewish people are so successful is because they view their employment as worship. And so having a complete, total transformation on what is actual, authentic worship, not just in, the, in, the, uh, in just singing. And then the third one, which is where we're going to really kind of hunker down, uh, is understanding the word and how we must become more biblically sound. And I know this has been talked about. You guys have heard it over and over again. Um, and I just want to ring that same bell, but also give, you know, kind of my personal journey, um, because I've been forced to grow and mature in this area specifically. And so through this message, we're going to kind of break down the word of God, which I love to do, um, based upon geographical context, cultural background. Uh, and this is made, this is just part of the education process. It's called exegesis an exegetical analysis of a specific passage, and that's what we're going to do. Um, part of this message, I do want to train, equip, and develop. Right, That is what we are called to do as the body of Christ, train, equip, and develop. So if I'm just up here sharing a word, and I don't actually give you an actual step-by-step, not step-by-step, you guys are capable adults, but showing you what I had to go through to actually get to where I am now, and I'm... Trust me, I'm nowhere near where I need to be. But I used to be all spirit and no word. I was convicted because as a charismatic, we, I loved to the fire of God's power, right? Oh, yeah, it's all good and stuff. But uh, sometimes we burn things down with it. And I, I, I'm a great, a, great, a great example of that, right? We love the move of the spirit, but due to the imbalance of word and spirit, uh, I know for me personally, I lost a lot of credibility, right? Those, those charismatics, they're not theologically sound. They don't know how to even defend or talk about what they're experiencing. I, I know it kind of stings, it kind of hurts, but man, the Lord really convicted me of that. I had no credibility with a lot of my friends and a lot of my coworkers because I did not understand what the word said. I could talk about it all day long. I could regurgitate Bill Johnson, Chris, Chris Vallotton. I could regurgitate John Piper, John MacArthur, all these amazing people. But when it's all said and done, they saw that there was no fruit in my life and that I was just this flaky charismatic that had absolutely no idea how to read the Bible. It's actually very, it's very humbling, and I'm um, honestly kind of still a little embarrassed to be up here teaching about it, but that is where I have come in high school. So some of you, you know, you new people, it's actually great to see some of the new faces here. It's extremely exciting. Uh, for those of you that uh, are watching online, um, it's good to see you too, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I'm glad you guys are being careful and whatnot. But even in high school, like my identity was strictly basketball. Um, Religion had its place, and I know that's even a touchy subject, you know, within the charismatic movement of religion actually does have its place. It's actually what kept me in line, because I didn't really have an authentic relationship with Christ. My faith was my parents' faith. I was actually just talking to Hannah Hughes about this. Uh, You know, we as teenagers and moving on into adolescence, we need to actually go on a journey of discovering our faith for ourselves because we are we do live in an amazing environment we live in an amazing culture and church where we are developed trained coached all of that fun stuff by our parents to actually live an amazing lifestyle for Christ however it is the actual practicalities of real life that confront us with what do we really believe 
And I'm telling you, I didn't really have that. I didn't. In high school, I was like, yeah, I love Jesus. I wasn't doing anything crazy. Again, because I knew the right thing to do. And again, you know, that's religion. Moving into college, went to go play basketball. Again, didn't do anything crazy. Didn't do anything stupid because, again, religion kept me in check of like, yeah, it's just the right thing to do. I love Jesus. Go to church on Sunday. Check off the, read my Bible, worshiped a little bit, you know, prayed for somebody. But man, that, that just, <laughs> ah, I, I look I'm on this side of it and I'm like, I just want to strangle Joel back then. You know what I mean? Oh, I do. <laughs> yeah, as my dad, my dad like rings true. I know that's what he said when I first rocked, uh, came back from California wearing skinny jeans too, so. No, no, no. But, what's that? That's right. That's right. I tell you, now the problem is, is I got to suck in because I got that sympathy weight. That's what it is, sympathy weight. Just trying to help my wife out be a servant. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But, in college, like what my dad just talked about, as we reflect and, you know, continue to remind ourselves of the goodness of God, of what he has done in my life, the, like, I, I don't want to dismiss the miracle because that is absolutely amazing. The way that he was so involved, so divinely orchestrated, that whole process of how I was able to walk again. It's, I mean, it's, it's truly unexplainable. It, it is an absolute miracle. But I think that just what is, is important is the, the complete change of trajectory of my life. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys remember. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted, to, wanted to do history, political science, be, maybe be a teacher. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. At first, when I graduated high school, I was a pediatrician. Then I became a history major and political science, wanting to do something with that. But that life circumstance of actually being paralyzed forced me to actually question. Because questioning is good. Questioning is actually good. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive or whatnot, but questioning is actually good because it forced me to wrestle with okay, yeah, I, I, I know all this stuff. I know that the Lord heals. I know that, you know, he loves me, that he's good, that he would never bring something upon me that's this bad and whatnot, but I don't really believe that. That was just a bunch of great teaching that wasn't even mine. And that, that, that miracle caused incredible things to happen, but it also uh, caused a lot of relationships to be built because I didn't know how to best describe that from a biblical perspective. I didn't have the theology of what actually took place. So I, I personally believe that, and this is again based off of my own life, I believe biblical intelligence is a lost art within the church. Right, we know that Jesus is perfect theology, right, and he is our model for what we are called to strive for. But if this is the case, then why has his intelligence been completely swept under the rug? Jesus is regarded as patient, compassionate, humble, strong, loving. Almost any positive aspect of human personality is obviously, you know, and very much credited to him. But the one facet of Jesus which has received very little recognition is his intelligence. Yes, we occasionally acknowledge Jesus is wise, but a gentleman named Dallas Willard, he so insightfully points out, we hardly ever and only with hesitation say the words, Jesus is intelligent. And very seldom do we hail the man from Nazareth as a genius. Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived. It makes sense, logical sense, right, to believe Jesus, right? He is beyond good, loving, faithful. Jesus is bright, but he's also insightful, well-informed, intelligent, inventive, and extremely knowledgeable. Everyone has something to learn from Jesus, no matter how smart they are. And to be honest with you, I'm not the smartest person in, in the entire world. I had to really work hard at my grades, right? We make the joke. That's why I was a communications and leadership major, right? 
right? I say that uh, jokingly, not to, if anybody in here is a communications major. I promise you, it's, it's very, very helpful. The other um, example that I think we, and this is where we're actually going to really kind of bunker down the rest of the time that we have together, um, are the Bereans. Now, I, for me, I, if you would have told me, if you would have said that name, I would have been like, who are the Bereans? What, or actually, it would have been like, what's a Berean? Is that a food? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's honestly what I would have, would, have, uh, would have taken. But they are honestly one of the most biblically intelligent people that we actually see in Scripture. Now, granted, it is a very short passage, and so I kind of am trying to give myself grace of like, well, you know, they're mentioned twice within the five-verse context, so I'm off the hook. But that's just where I was. That's how I comforted myself. But they are honestly some of the most intelligent people. And I wasn't even going to speak about this until I was actually talking with my dad um, about the Bereans and having some conversations. And even after praying, praying about it, I felt that this kind of needed to be our benchmark um, because they were true and noticeable disciples of truth. And so I want to just invite you to buckle down because we're going to really kind of dig into some of the word. But through this observation, I want to expound upon the Bereans, give a geographical analysis, and dig into some of the original language that gives us examples of how to find truth. Okay, it's like what I said, exegesis. And it's not just some fancy word that, you know, this this is just everyday language that as the church we need to learn to be equipped on how to have conversations such as this. Okay. So, who has their Bibles? Can we pull those out, please? Of course, I, I, uh, I took mine back to Knoxville, and then I forgot to uh, grab it at 3.30 in the morning when we drove back up here, naturally. It was, yeah, so, um, so it's hard to say something about your actual physical copy when the guy that's giving the message doesn't even have his, but... <laughs> Uh, I, I do want to say, I'm telling you right now, um, you can have a relationship with that thing in front of you. I, I do not want to, because I use a Bible program, I use my phone, I use all the digital copies. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's something unique in having a physical copy. Um, yeah, I, I can't sit here and say I have it all figured out, but I'm just, for what it's worth, if you want to take it or leave it, but there is something unique about a f- the physical copy of Scripture. So Acts 17, 10 through 13. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So my first, my first question that when I approach scripture, what kind of stands out? Now I know you guys have been doing a journal. I can't, remind me of the journal's name. The Here Journal. Right, and so asking the question, kind of what stands out, I know that replies to, um, you know, asking the Lord what scripture stands out to you. But I want to ask you kind of what stands out um, to you. So for me, when I'm approaching scripture, I kind of want to know, okay, where is this actually taking place? Okay, so this map kind of shows Paul's second missionary journey and kind of where Berea lies. So Berea lies within the ancient region of Macedonia, which you're able to see. And scripture confirms that a Jewish community uh, large enough to have built a synagogue lived within the city, even though it was within a Gentile nation. So it's kind of important to understand in regards to the synagogue, right? That was actually uh, what is help helps us gauge on actually how big a city was. So if it was big enough to have a synagogue there, there's actually quite a bit of Jewish individuals that actually live there in spite of living in Gentile in a Gentile nation. So on his second missionary journey following the council in Jerusalem, the apostle Paul came to Berea to preach to preach 
Berea to preach after proclaiming the gospel in places such as Philippi and Thessalonica. Okay. If you really think about it, I've always looked at this map and I'm like, doggone, I would have been really thin if I walked that much. Um, but anyways, that's another, another thought. That's right, Paul's wife wasn't pregnant. She, she didn't want, she wasn't craving cookies every evening. <sighs> I love you. <laughs> so after reading this, the question stands, what is so special about the Bereans? I know that's, I'm like, what is so special? What makes them so noble? Especially when we're talking about other Jews in Thessalonica that are, I mean, to be honest with you, if I was one of those Jews, I'd be like, how do you know they're more noble than us? You know what I mean? I'm a little competitive, so I'm like, they're not better than me. What are you talking about? They're not more noble than me. I'm perfect. <laughs> Guys, you got to gauge with me. I am, man, you're making me sweat up here. <laughs> Golly, I told you I was already having a hard enough time preparing for this, and you're like, uh, is that supposed to be a joke? <sighs> no, I appreciate it. I'm just, I'm messing. I like to have fun up here. Uh, there's a gentleman named Matthew Henry that uh, he is a very, very old theologian from 16, late 1600s to early 1700s. Um, he actually put it very beautifully to, uh, to describe the Brians, and I would encourage you if you're able to, to read some of his stuff. He's got, he's got a, a couple great commentaries, um, but he said, they had a freer thought and lay more open to conviction were willing to hear, were willing to hear reason and admit the force of it and to subscribe to that which appeared to them to be truth, though it was contrary to their former sentiments. This was more noble. They had a better temper. They were not so sour and ill-conditioned towards all that were not of their mind. As they were ready to come into a unity with those that by the power of truth they were brought to concur with, so they continued in charity with those that they saw cause to differ from. This was more noble. They neither prejudged the cause nor were moved with envy at the managers of it, as the Jews at Thessalonica were, but very generously gave both it and them a fair hearing without passion or partiality. Guys, I'm telling you right now, that's not just for the Bereans. That is for us as a nation today. Take this, take this teaching, take uh, whatever you want. But this right here, the fact that they allowed somebody with a completely different opinion the ability to speak and to actually consider that what they may be saying may have truth to it. Like, I'm telling you right now, if Matthew Henry were alive today and he spoke that, we'd all be like, oh, my heavens. You know, I'm, I mean, I, I read this and I was like, oh, my word, this is exactly what not only the church, but our nation needs. They didn't prejudge, nor were they moved with envy. They weren't sour, didn't have a temper. I know I have a little bit of one. I'm working on it. But they were willing to hear reason, willing to hear the opposite opinion, even if it was c the complete opposite of their own. Golly. I don't know. About, I mean, I just about when I read that, I about got off the couch and went, ran up the hill. I didn't, but <laughs> had a cookie instead. <laughs> no. So. We got that. We understand a little bit about the Bereans. But what I'm going to do now, um, I want to show you kind of a basic program on how to um, search Scripture, uh, some words that really stuck out to me, um, because this is actually the program that I first used um, when I got really serious about my faith. Um, I'm not going to knock devotionals. I think, you know, they're great tools. Um, I actually used to read uh, Jesus Calling. Um, but personal conviction, please, personal conviction. This is not to, to cast this on anybody. Um, it's a phenomenal place to start, but for me, as I was growing, that was just, that was not meeting 
the growth that I, I wanted. Because uh, again, it wasn't mine. Uh, it was somebody else. It was, a fun, like I said, just a phenomenal starting point. And I think that's actually one of the things that initiated uh, some of the, the hunger and the growth. Um, but there are so many free Bible programs out there, people. I'm telling you. Great, great programs that, I, I, honestly, I, I wish I could give you all the research that I did on them because I was very passionate about making sure I got one of the most authentic and, honestly, biblically sound Bible programs. Because there's some out there that are kind of wonky. You know, that's just kind of part of it. But um, the one I want to use is called Blue Letter Bible. And I used this uh, before I bought Logos and kind of took a nosedive into, into, that, into that realm. Um, and so I want to show you kind of some of the things that I did when it came to playing around with Scripture and actually allowing the original Greek to actually bring what I was reading to life. Uh, and so I'm not, you know, you guys, uh, at the very end, I'll give you some other, uh, um, some other programs um, and to be honest with you, I knew of some of this stuff, but never utilized it. And I'm just going to be quite honest with you. Uh, it stunted my growth. It really did. Um, but through this, uh, this has just radically transformed my life. So we first see that they were more noble than the Jews of Thessalonica. So my question is, is okay, well, what does it be, mean to be noble? It's a fair question, right? So, let me just quick outline this, okay? So this is something, if you type on Blue Letter Bible, go online. I typed in our passage, and so what you're able to do, uh, it's called uh, interlinear, okay? So the reverse interlinear actually gives you it word for word as we see it in the English. The original interlinear actually, Greek is very kind of all over the place. So it's actually not like how we read it. Uh, so I do the reverse one because it allows us to go step by step. And so I, okay, what does more noble mean? Okay. It's called Evan Estori. Okay. Which comes from Eugenese. I'm still working on my Greek too. So, uh, please uh, give me give me some grace. Um, but I know that's a big thing for me of ensuring that I uh, know to how to pronounce that. So that's actually where we uh, derive the personal name Eugene. Uh, originally, it meant well-born and implied nobility, but later it described those of a generous spirit who are open-minded toward truth, not hostile or suspicious of others but give others a fair hearing. And so the Bereans are considered noble because they listen to the preaching of the gospel in its entirety. Entirety. I want to highlight that word, in its entirety, because I used to be so bad at going into the Bible and getting what I wanted to hear and getting what applied to my life, completely taking that verse right from its context, right from the passage, and making it fit me. I was, man, I'm telling you guys, I did that all the time. But the gospel, they heard the gospel in its entirety with open hearts as they pursued God and his whole truth. Because, again, there's partial truth. I'm, I, I used to be really good at that when it came to my parents. I'd give them a portion of the truth, not the whole truth. <laughs> hey, I'm being... <laughs> I'm telling you. So we also see that they received the word with eagerness. So what's, what's eagerness mean? You guys alive? You guys okay? Just want to make sure. Let me see if I can, yeah. So does all that make sense right now? Clear as mud. That's encouraging. <laughs> so at the very top right, 1711, that's the actual Greek that it's written in. This is so difficult to not have it live it would be so easy to do are we able to do that just out of for future reference to do like for live yeah i'm not going to do it right now uh but for future reference i think that'd be really good um so i do apologize uh for not having the f in its entirety um so strong's just for a frame of reference strong's is actually where it's this huge huge book that has all of uh, the Greek words, the roots of those words, 
and so you're able to click on that G2104 and get to it immediately. And actually, it gives you all the other passages where this word is actually given. And it's, it's, it's such a helpful resource when you're able to click on that and you're able to, it just goes, John something, blah, blah, blah. And it gives all within the New Testament. And then you can also um, go into the Old Testament, but it's not in Greek, it's in Hebrew. And then you can click on that little sound that allows you to pronounce it. Um, I, t- to be quite honest with you, if I'm being super honest, I did have some discrepancies on the way that they pronounced it versus what I actually heard in Logos. Just so you know, um, it did sound a little different, um, and I just went ahead and took what my Bible program, Logos, actually had said. So just FYI. So eagerness, what does that actually mean? Okay, is prothemia, and it suggests that they looked into the scriptures with enthusiasm, eagerness, and zeal. The Greek paints a word picture, and I love word pictures, of a ravenously hungry man who devours the food set before him, or an extremely thirsty man who is finally given something to drink. Now, I I can't, even right now, like, I can't sit here and say, like, I'm just drooling over the word. I I wish I could sit here and say, now, am I I eager to read the words? Absolutely. But this word picture, I think, paints it beautifully because it convicts me because I'm not just drooling, ready to go just bunker down for three hours and just sit in the word. That's not the benchmark. Uh, don't, don't take that and be like, Joel said I got to read three hours a day. <laughs> don't, please don't do that. That's, that's between you and the Lord. But the Bereans were full of enthusiasm, readiness, and zeal for God's word. Yeah. Mm, gosh, even as I'm preaching this, it convicts the living daylights out of me. <sighs> The Bereans searched the scriptures to see if what they were being taught was correct. My question is, is how many of you leave here and go search out what you heard? That's right. Amen. I never did that. <laughs> I never did that until I, I was forced to go and find my own church and actually read up on what the pastor was saying. Again, I trust them. They are ador- ordained by the Lord. But it's actually an invitation and to the more, what they're given you is what they have been, uh, what the Lord has revealed to them. But it's also an invitation to you to actually discover something even more. That's what apostleship is. I'll never, uh, rabbit trail. I, I never, I had a conversation with a friend out in California. They said, I'm just not being fed at Bethel. What do you mean you're not being fed? That's not their job. Your job is to feed you, not them. Don't put that responsibility on them. That's not their job. And then they, they said, well, you know, I just don't, I just don't, you know, sometimes I feel when they give a message, it's not, uh, it's not always applicable. And I told him, I said, well, look, I said, this is in context to Bill Johnson. And I said, well, the whole purpose of them giving a message is to give you revelation, but it's also an invitation for you to actually go home and discover something more. That's why you're empty. You're putting that responsibility on them and you're, you're not even feeding your own self. So what do you expect? A, I, I said it in love, I promise. I didn't say it like, <laughs> just like that. I was trying to, you know, condense it for you guys. My wife gets on me all the time about that. I need to say truth in love because I love truth, guys. I'm telling you right now, love truth but it needs to be said in love. I'm a little too blunt sometimes. So the Bereans searched the scripture to see if what they were being taught was correct. So one of the things we need to remember that the only scripture available to them was the Torah. Okay, so what's the Torah? It's the first five books of the Old Testament. First five books. So the things that Paul and Silas taught them were regarding to Jesus and the new covenant that is only mentioned in the Torah. Okay, so most of these people were of Jewish heritage and knew the Old Testament promises of a Messiah. So when I say Old Testament, I mean, again, I mean the Torah. So how exactly did they search the scriptures and prove this information? What does search mean? 
or examined. So it comes from the Greek word anakrino, which translates as properly to scrutinize by implication, to investigate, interrogate, and to determine. So again, I'm not going to go in this rabbit trail. The King James Version um, translates the word to ask, to question, to discern, examine, to judge, and to search. So again, the yellow is the what's highlighted and searched or examined. gives you the strongs, um, and then it gives you the actual Greek word. So if you would want to just for future reference, because I'm going to challenge you guys on this, you can click on that strong, so that way you can see uh, where it's at in the rest of um, the rest of the New Testament. Um, I'm telling you guys, I, I I wish I had, I wish I could teach a class on this stuff because I had to learn the hard way of just failing, trying to figure it out, being frustrated. Because I'm telling you right now, that's probably one of the biggest issues of being so frustrated and consumed by one little detail that you're not able to fully, yeah, that's a, to, to fully and grasp and enjoy what you're reading. So, I want to make something clear, though, that this does not mean that the Bereans were constantly questioning the scriptures to prove or disprove what they were learning. Um, they could examine the words Paul and Silas spoke and determine if they were indeed in line with the Torah. So they also observed the fruit of Paul and Silas's lives. Okay, I think that's something important to uh, point out, um, especially in a culture uh, where gifts are very heightened. Uh, the gift of prophecy, the gift uh, of healing, what, whatever it may be, they are all gifts of God that are freely given, freely given, <laughs> and are not revocable. Scripture is very clear about that, right? So, gifts, I love this quote, I can't even remember who, who, uh, who coined it, but gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. <laughs> gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. And so if there is somebody flaunting that they have this gift, that gift, I'm telling you right now, just observe their life and the fruit. Don't be critical. Like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm the worst at that. I'm absolutely, I'm getting better. But I'm still bad. Like, okay, cool, man. Like, you can talk till you're blue in the face about how you have to get to prophecy. But I need to see fruit. I really need to see fruit. Um, because, again, God gives those gifts Really. Okay. So does this mean that they had to disprove or reprove things such as Sabbath or holy days, which obviously they knew to be of God? No. Uh, very similar. There are very uh, clear defined doctrines uh, that were established by the apostles and the early church that I'm not going to them and being like, all right, is this biblically accurate? No, like those were, yeah, that's a, no, I'm just trying to put it in, in context for today of, is that what we're doing? No. Are we t questioning the teachings of Jesus? No. However, the way this is written clearly indicates that they were not going to let old thoughts, they weren't going to let old thoughts, ideas, or ways easily fall by the wayside, nor would they close the door on any truth that might come to them through revelation or by teaching. I'm telling you right now, I used to be so guilty of this because I was so rooted in my old ways that anything new or anything that was opposing that was wrong. Nope. Not even going to fondle with that thought. That's actually not what this is uh, clearly explaining to us, right? We actually need uh, to be invited into potentially something new. That's what it is. It's just growth. Yep. And I'm telling you, if you've got it all figured out, you're in big trouble. <laughs> I'm speaking to myself on that one. Hmm. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> so it also made them aware of the need to establish and reestablish the truth of God among them on an ongoing basis. Okay. 
So again, that's where kind of the community portion kind of comes in. How are we having these discussions within the context of community? How are we actually putting forth in Proverbs where it says iron sharpens iron? We love quoting that, but are we actually doing it? Am I actually challenging my brother on some of his thinking? Okay. Here's an example. I'm going to give an example because um, I, I, wa I want you guys to see kind of how I've gone through it, how I've messed up and all that stuff. And I want to give you kind of an example, kind of an example of this. And Tom and my dad can correct, please, after, uh, you know, I don't want to overstep my boundaries. I think it's in line, but because I want to be cautious. There was a um, there was an individual that I had really good relationship with uh, that we studied the word together in, in group. Uh, and they said, this was out while I was in California, and they said that every single individual is a child of God, no matter what, saved or unsaved. So I asked them to explain, and their first thing was, this is a revelation that the Lord gave me. Now, not so nice Joel at that time said, <laughs> who are you listening to? Is that really lo the Lord? Now we're all made in His image, but we're all not made—we're uh, not all His children. Now this may even mess some of some of your thinking up, to be honest with you. And I may be wrong. I may be wrong, and I may be getting corrected after service. Tom and my dad may come up to me and say, "Dude, you you are way off." And I—I'm telling you, I I will gladly and next week I'll make a video and humbly <laughs> apologize. I will. I promise. But again, if we are to actually believe that, we are actually under, going completely under the New Testament, all of Paul's messages about adoption, about the concept of hell. hate to break it to you people. It's real. Then if we are all children of God, then there's no point of hell. There's no point of adoption. There's no purpose as to why Jesus came. So the reality is, is we're not all God's children. We're adopted unto him. Are we all made in his image? Yes. But she was so adamant about, well, that's what I heard from the Lord. Now, I was not, listen, I was not graceful. I was not kind. I straight up told her, I said, you're deceived. You're not hearing from the Lord. Go read your Bible. Go read the epistles of Paul. Educate yourself. Now, again, don't take that approach, please. Gosh, I, I regret the way that I approached that because it was not in love. It was out of just anger because I, I was so, at that point in my life, I was so disgusted with just, and it, part of it is a reflection of myself. It was really what it was, it was because that you could not articulate yourself. You could not have an actual intelligent conversation. It was, it was not rooted in scripture. It was ro rooted on feelings. But my delivery was so wrong. So wrong. <laughs> so wrong. And so my question to us today is, are we being a Berean? Right? The, the Bereans examine scriptures daily. Every single day. Are you getting in your word every single day? They came to the Bible and kept coming back. Is there a frequency and consistency to your spiritual consumption? Or is it sporadic? Because I'm telling you right now, for me, I needed discipline. I needed to set a schedule when it came to really starting this, this journey of and consistency when it came to my relationship with the Lord and being biblically sound. I keep blowing bubbles. <laughs> Sorry, I told you I like to have fun, but it's not the, the best, uh, best times within the message. If we are not going to be in the word of God with consistency, we have to focus on the discipline and the faith. Like if I can't like keep myself in the word daily, I have to create a disciplined schedule. I have to focus on the, the faith 
So do you, cr- do you struggle to create a sacred routine and rhythm of diving into the word that will change the trajectory of, of your life? Because I'm telling you right now, I, I, again, I am not, <laughs> I'm nowhere near where I want to be nor need to be. But my gosh, I can tell you right now, my life is completely different because I took the word seriously. Completely different. I, I would still be that flaky Christian, like I'm getting ready to finish up my MDiv. Went to Bethel, right? All because I had a love for the word. And I can only imagine I'd be coming in here with that smile on my face, miserable internally, but because my dad's the pastor and I've been here all my life, I got it all figured out. I'm living a good life. And which may be true, but what was it rooted in? Like I said earlier, religion. Bears no fruit. Kept me out of trouble, but that was all it did. Gave me no life. Consider what you are not believing about the Word. What are you actually not believing about Scripture? These are questions I actually want you to ask yourself. Do we believe it has something relevant to say? Do you believe there are answers to life's hardest questions in the Bible? I think we can say yes to all these questions, but do you genuinely believe it? Are you saying yes because that's what you've been taught? That's what I did. Yeah, of course. It's what I heard at church. It's what I heard my dad say. It's what I heard my mom say. It's what I heard Tom say. Tom slapped me upside the head when he did it, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I love you, Tom. Do you, do you think that you will find the comfort and presence of Christ in this book? And I think that is the question that needs to be asked consistently because I think there is a disconnect between experiencing his comfort and presence when we're in the word versus when we're in worship via music. Because I love my worship music. There's not, I love it. I love it. But I can experience him just as much in that moment as I can when I'm studying scripture. I'm telling you, if you think that's, if that is, they're separate, it's not. He is just as discoverable, just as comforting, and just as tangible when you're in the Word than when you're singing a a hymn or a Bethel music song or whatever it may be. The Bereans went to the Scriptures daily because they were eager to listen to God. And they believed the Bible was the place to go to hear his voice. Again, I love prophets. They are here for a reason, but I can tell you right now, even from some individuals that I know, even myself, I put so much pressure on them to give me a word because I wasn't getting a word for myself in Scripture. I'm telling you right now, even at Bethel, like we we get to be on the ministry team. It's such an honor and privilege to be able to serve, you know, individuals that come all across the globe and come to a conference and to pray for these people right at the altar. But the expectation to receive a prophetic word is so strong that the line, I mean, I prayed 50 people every Sunday or at a, at a, uh, at a conference and all of them were like I want a prophetic word I want a prophetic word so I can't even imagine like the office of a prophet like a Chris Valentin or whoever it may be the pressure in a moment like this to continue to come up with prophetic word after prophetic word but it's not a reflection on them it's a reflection on us we're the ones that are putting that pressure on them. We're the ones that are requiring a word from them because we don't know how to get in the word. It's, 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 I know this is a tough pill to swallow, people. I'm still swallowing it. It's probably caught right here if I had to be honest with myself. You know what I mean? Daily. Listening to God. So why do we check our... Okay, so first, I, I really struggled with right, creating a routine, getting in the Word. But I was so addicted to social media 
I was so addicted to checking my email, all that stuff. And that's the question that I had to ask myself. Why do I check my email compulsively? Why do I check Facebook and spend hours on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? Or the mailbox when a package is on the way. I can tell you right now, we've got Amazon Prime. I love it. I know when it's coming. But there is still an a, expectation and excitement that comes because you're like, yeah. You guys want to know what we just ordered? <laughs> you guys ready for this? This is ridiculous. We ordered a bidet. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. It's perfect. All my travels, I know Alger's over there shaking his head. Oh, my word, Joel. Through traveling like the Middle East and Europe, they, they, that's all they have is a bidet. I'm telling you, if you don't know what it is, people, go look it up. <laughs> It'll change your life. So much so that uh, the CEO of Holston Home, my boss, he actually ordered one. So just trying to serve the kingdom where it needs to be served, right? <laughs> but legitimately, why is there so much excitement wrapped up around that, but I don't have that kind of excitement when it comes to diving into my word? That's that same excitement that I'm talking about. It's, yeah, exactly. It's the anticipation. I cannot wait till that gets here. But I love that bidet. <laughs> it's because we believe that there is news for us. There is something there. Someone may have just put up a sweet video of a cat or a status update about someone who made a nice lemonade. Who knows? Really important stuff like that, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah. But we check because we believe we may hear something relevant and necessary. It's really what it is. And yet, what could be more relevant or necessary than God's Word? I'm going to repeat that one more time. Because that, that, stung, that stung me so bad, I'm telling you right now. I, yeah. So why do we check all those? Because we believe there is news for us. There is something there. Someone may have just put up a sweet, yeah, I'm not going to go into that. The sweet cat, lemonade, really important stuff, right? But we check because we believe we may hear something relevant and necessary. And yet, what could be more relevant or necessary than the Word of God? Absolutely nothing. Now, Joel, you, uh, people may be like, Joel, okay, well, you know, what about the Spirit of God? Here's the thing. I think you guys got, I think the church, the charismatic movement, we've got that nailed down. Yeah. I really do. I don't think there's, yes, there's growth. Hear my heart. There's growth everywhere we go. That doesn't need to be nailed down. What needs to be nailed down is getting biblically literate. Right? We need to fully understand scripture so that way when we do actually have an individual in front of us that doesn't that just thinks we're flaky individuals that we can actually share the theological truth that then validates the spiritual portion of what we have to offer again guys i'm on this journey with you right I don't have it figured out right. I am just trying so hard, and it's by His grace that I'm able to. And honestly, it's education too. I'm telling you, you know, some of you are like, well, I'm not made for that. I'm not built for that. I wasn't either. I'm really not, uh, you know. But I have learned so much through my studies of how to do stuff like this, and all it does is is it makes me more and more hungry. Because when you get fed in the kingdom. You, you become more hungry. So, action steps. Shall we? Action plan. Okay, write this down. Take it in your phone. Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't do this, uh, I'll probably be a little hurt. Um, actually, to be honest with you, I, that's completely up to you. That's, it depends on how hungry you are and whatnot, but Research-free Bible program. Like I said, I wish I could just uh, sit here and just give you all the tools and that kind of stuff, but let's be honest with you. I'm that, at that point, I'd just be catching a fish. I wouldn't be teaching you how to fish, right? So I want you to actually research a free Bible program. I'm not telling you to go pay for something, right? That's, that's completely up to you. You pray, pray about that. 
Blue Letter Bible, Bible Hub, Bible Gateway, those are the three that, you know, I kind of tossed around when I was really uh, trying to become biblically literate. Uh, and like I said, I really leaned more heavily on uh, Blue Letter Bible, and that was the example that I gave you. Um, second one, exegesis, right? What was that fancy word that I, uh, that set, that I used? Just one verse a day. That's it, just one verse. Not, not a whole passage, just one verse. So what is that? Understanding the cultural background, the context of the verse and its entire passage, right? Because even though we're fine-tuning and honing in on one specific, uh, one specific verse, we still need to take it in its entirety. So I, I still want you guys to start out with just the passage, even though if you are past that, I would do the entire chapter or the entire book. It's only going to help you, I promise you. Um, I know I was making fun, you know, that I love that verse um, where two or more are gathered in my name. There I am with them. Hate to break it to you, people. That has everything to do with confrontation. Right. Has nothing to do with what we think it does, right? Uh, I mean, it can be applied. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, if like, Lord, you're here with us. Answer our prayers. Again, I love it. It's great. But hate to break it to you. Has everything to do with when I'm confronting my brother or sister. Two or three are gathered. When we're confronting him, he's with us. For example, right? So you have to have that whole passage. You have to have that whole book to fully understand what is this saying, right? Sorry. Third one, I want you to memorize one verse per week. Amen. Just this week, memorize one verse. I don't care how short it is. It can be, and Jesus wept. That's fine. Because what, what are we doing? We're, we're creating routine. We're creating uh, a, a discipline, right? And then when you, when you actually have it, Memorize, Jesus wept. Okay, why was he weeping? Amen. What was going on that caused him to weep? What was Jesus experiencing, the emotion that, that caused him to weep? Right. right? So, does that seem like something you guys would be able to do this week? Now, here's the other thing that I didn't put on there, but I knew I was going to... You have to... I don't know how you want to go about this. This, you know, is different for each and every individual. I want to tie it back into that community. Because if you're not sharing that with somebody, you have no accountability. Right? I want you guys to have some form of accountability that you have the responsibility to share what you've learned from these action steps. Right? Because, again, like I said, I want to tie it back into that community where it's not just a social gathering where you're stepping on lemonade and sweet tea but you're actually having conversations such as this to where you're actually able to sharpen iron. Sound good? Does that sound, sound like it's doable? Okay, well, good stuff. Let me tell you guys, it is just, I love being able to do this, to, to, to come and share and teach and preach uh, to a church that has so sown into my life and just the, the ministry that uh, I feel that the Lord has on my heart and on my life. Um, I just am so grateful that... Uh, Tom and my dad would allow me to give you a life update, but also kind of share uh, what's going on. But guys, I love each and every one of you. It is, it is so good to see your guys' face. Um, yeah, this is always my home. No matter where the Lord takes us, this is my home. And it's always, it's always such a fun time being able to come up here share about life updates like my son but to also share the the valleys and the the highs with you guys because most of you have seen where I've come from the struggles and the pressures of being a pastor's son um, but it, it's it's just with such great joy that I'm on this side of it now So I just want to tell you guys how much I love you. And how much, how grateful I am for each and every one of you and just the relationship that I get to come back, do stuff like this. But every time I walk into this church, it's like a little reunion that I get to see everybody and love on people and just catch up. It's it's just such a fun time. <sighs> but Jesus is king.
And I'm telling you what, we can no longer sweep under the rug his intelligence. And we must be Bereans. We are in a time where the church needs to speak up. It needs to do. It needs to really and truly understand what we believe. Let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, you are so good. You're so kind. Jesus, you're such a great friend and father. You love us so dearly. Lord, it's such a privilege to, to, to serve you, to walk alongside of you, to, to, share, to share the kingdom with every individual that we come encounter with, Lord. Lord, we love the things of you, Jesus. We love your gifts. We love the, the fire, the wind. I'm even reminded of 1 Kings 19, right, where Elijah was up in the mountain and he heard a, a, an earthquake. He heard uh, a rushing fire. He heard thunder. The ground was shaking. But what did it say? He said, Jesus was in none of those. Jesus, you were in the still small voice. And so, Jesus, let that be our conviction, that you're in the still, small voice where we, are, we have to put off all distractions, where we have to silence our minds, where we have to silence all the things around us, Lord, and bunker down and get into your word, Lord. Because, Jesus, that is where we get to discover you in new and incredible ways. Lord, thank you for convicting my heart. Lord, thank you for humbling me. Because, Jesus... You are just so good and you are so kind. And so, Lord, as we go about this week, Lord, I thank you for uh, the community that we uh, get to be a part of, Lord, that we do get to enjoy the, the lemonades and the teas and the grilling out, even though it's winter, Jesus. We can still do it. But, Lord, we thank you for those moments just as much as we thank you for being able to come together and talk about the word together because, Jesus, I love hearing about other people's view on Scripture and what they're able to gather from it because, Lord, they are completely different from me and you are revealing something completely different to them than you are me. And that's what I rejoice in, Jesus, that we get to come together in unity. So, Lord, give us grace, give us strength, give us wisdom. And, Lord, we just uh, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.